You're tuned in to the MTGG Cable Cast, 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 where they cover Magic, the Gathering Finance. All right? You don't know about it? You're tuned in right now and get ready to learn some shit. Buckle your seatbelts and light a blunt and get ready for the MTG Cable Cast, 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 starring Reptar and Thirsty, them onion head motherfuckers. Alrighty, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal Cast. Uh, we've got kind of an interesting one today, which we've touched on briefly before. Basically, with the return of, you know, a standard regional event, Pro Tour, whatever, we have more focus on paper events. Uh, how do we feel about seasons? By which we mean, you know, not like a season pass on a game where mm -hmm. here's, you know, you've got your regular and your premium, whatever. We mean, basically, well, like what Star City started with. It's legacy season. There's six months of legacy. All right, now it's modern season. It's six months of modern. Now that there seems to be a return to this supported by Wizards of the Coast rather than just by the community, how do we actually feel about it? So let's get started. Yeah, uh, and I think it's pretty cut and dry for me as a vendor. I really enjoy seasonality because it means I get to twist and turn my buy list a lot. I don't just have to keep buying everything all the time as players are in the standard season, or let's use the, the current example. Players are in the Pioneer season right now. We just got announced that the next regional, and I believe the next Pro Tour, after the Pioneer set, is going to be standard. So players will know at, at some point in this season, Pioneer Biolists will turn down, and yep. standard Biolists will turn up. And for me, that excites me because I can stop buying Pioneer cards at a premium. I can start buying them during standard season and i'm not looking at pioneer cards that are in standard i'm looking for pioneer cards that are in older standard that are rotated up and that allows me to again adjust my buy list as necessary it also means that knowing we have standard in front of us i can just go goblin mode on sealed again yep. as a vendor previously i had to kind of guess at how popular product would be for my first two waves of distro and at least for the second order, I could use information from my first and pre-orders to really kind of adjust my numbers over time. Now I know I can just turn the faucet on and start bringing in product as quickly as possible. And if for whatever reason I cannot keep up and there's not enough distro, then I can put that on my buy list and I can start buying sealed products from players and other vendors. And it really kind of brings me back to what I was doing prior to the COVID lockdown. If we had seasonality inside of lockdown, then I think things would still have been similar, but I wouldn't be buying with the quantity I would be now because there weren't paper events to support it. If this was all seasonality based on Modo and some light FNM play, nothing supported by Watsi, I wouldn't turn the faucet nearly as hard as I will now. Yeah. Um, I think it's, you know, the thing that I'm excited for is like you said, you can make that buy list churn so much easier now than you've mm -hmm. been able to before. Uh, and I think that this does, like you say, it gives you an option because, look, standard product hasn't really been selling in stores. Like, the Commander stuff still sells. Obviously, Quad Masters was a godsend for the LGS because we sold all of it. Yeah. It just didn't matter. Whatever we had, we would sell. That's fine. That's not every set. So now there's actually this means for us to out 
standard product that isn't draft boosters if drafts are firing in your store because we actually have the opportunity to make use of this stuff yes. and make it profitable. And I think that's been one of the things that has kind of been missing is in order for a store to sell standard sealed product lately, you've almost had to make that market yourself. Mm-hmm. You couldn't really do anything. You you know, Wizards wasn't helping you out at all. So if you wanted to sell it, it was, okay, how can we make this work? How do we make this a thing in store where people want this? Mm-hmm. This is something people want to engage with. And now you have a built-in way for them to do that, which yep. is great because that's always how standards sold mm-hmm. was you had viable paper events for it. And when you don't, well, as an LGS, you're kind of just boned. Yeah, absolutely. You don't really have anything. You're just host. Yeah. Awesome. Doesn't feel good kind of spinning off of this also as a vendor the one thing that i'm going to look into now is attempting to pick up booth space at some localized events some large events if i can yeah for uh, that involve formats that are no longer in the current season and an example of that would be star city columbus just happened we had two 20k events there cool yeah i can go there and i can buy modern and i can buy pioneer pioneer is still going yes but that event did not involve pioneer so i can comb binders during standard season i can do the same thing i can comb binders for pioneer and modern knowing that they will come up in time and it gives me another way to bring in cards besides my online buy list if we return to magic magic fests and let's say they come back with the same kind of fervor that they were that they had before where you'll see them like what twice a month there are lgs's that could definitely take advantage of that localized spot the channel fireball was affording prior to the hubbub and the 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 coalesce the coalescing under ebay uh and actually something piggybacking on that that's very interesting is something i've you know just in talking to the grand prix star city whatever vendors i know uh now without the incentive of booth selection right so one of the things that channel fireball did with their system was the more events you did with channel fireball the higher your booth spot selection was Mm -hmm. so if you did a bunch of events you got first spot on where you are where you were in the room which as we've touched on is actually a pretty big deal yes yeah uh now with that gone i know a number of vendors that used to do every single event that all of a sudden they're like yeah no we're not going to go to dallas it's too far we're able to spend enough at other shows that it doesn't make sense to do a high overhead show so naturally what you've kind of started to see develop is vending has gotten more regional which is something that we touched on actually is what we expected to happen was with things this way you're picking up your local shows you're going to your toy mans your tcg cons whatever the case may be that's just a local place for people to hang out and yeah i'm doing my booth thing too like who cares yeah and i think that's been a huge boon overall because it does give spots for these local guys that are just kind of transitioning that you know look it four or five thousand dollars a table is a lot of money yeah but it's not as much if you're just doing one here and there to kind of get in there Mm -hmm. and i think that's been a huge boon from this whole situation as well yeah so the one thing as a vendor that i can't do unless i'm star city is hold events so as an yeah. LGS, does seasonality help in terms of bringing people into the store or directing F&M play and getting people ready for regional qualifiers? So I think the 
biggest thing that it has been good for, and this is like, I legitimately think is one of the best things about the entire situation, is uh, it has been very good, yes, for us to be able to say, hey, there's a Pioneer event coming up. We can't really fire Pioneer, uh, but there's one coming up. Let's try it. And it's allowed for a lot of LGSs, not just, you know, the ones I work with, but that I've seen all over the place. All of a sudden, they have this opportunity to like, all right, well, we can't really get people in on a weekly basis for Pioneer, but let's try to get some Pioneer players in here and see if we can maybe sell some of this stuff that's just sitting around, like these, you know, the Innistrad lands or whatever that are seeing a ton of play, the dual face lands. Because some I know some stores that have like 20 or 30 of those because their EDH crowd has already used theirs up. Yeah, And that's actually allowed going back to what you said earlier, to kind of churn the buy list a little bit. Because you're actually able to take, all right, here's stuff that I can't sell. Great, I'm going to throw it out, it's going to sell, and I can pay a little bit more aggressively today only on the stuff that I know I can sell to my locals, who may not come out for you know a Pioneer event. Yeah. The other thing is, and this is something that we touched on very, very early on in the podcast, was you know spikes don't pay your bills which is true mm -hmm. generally speaking these events when you're planning them aren't going to pay your bills uh but they're gonna help and if you get one person uh the example i use is a couple months ago there was a Yu-Gi-Oh regional at one of the stores i work at and came in there was a 30k magic buy that just walked in the door the day of the Yu-Gi-Oh regional because they saw an ad for Yu-Gi-Oh! Regional or something on Facebook and were like, oh, they probably buy magic cards. I guess I'm going to go in there on that day and see what they have. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, he came in and sold it. So it can even lead to just like incidental advertising and stuff like that. So I think it's it's helped a lot because being able to out cards you're not normally able to out for full margin that you may just have to buy list a card kingdom or something to churn into dual lands, stuff like that yeah, yeah. Uh, is very good. And I think that it, I hope it doesn't, but it may lead to the bane of all LGS existence. And that's the formation of leagues in store. If yeah. you own a store, don't ever run a league. They're fucking garbage. <laughs> they are. As somebody who's attempted to play in like gimmicky leagues, they oh. are extremely, Especially if it's a sealed league, it's impossible to get into once you've opened the event. Yeah. Like, trying to jump in after, like, week two is impossible. And, no. if, you're, and if you're doing a gimmicky one, like, $25 decks, then people who join in late have a million games to play, and nobody knows how to schedule them, where to play them, etc. And it just makes it super-duper difficult. And it's kind of exclusionary. I was actually talking to some players at my pre-release about it. There's a, yeah. There's a store here that used to do commander leagues uh, uh one league i think it was thursday and sunday play yeah. and there was another group of players from about half an hour away that used that came down on sundays to play commander at that store and i think they told me it was three months worth of essentially being cold shouldered at those events because they weren't in the league before they actually sat down and got like an out game played with anybody in that store or even bought anything they would come down. They Ugh. felt like they were taking up space, just like uninvited. And it was a player-driven league. That's terrible. Nobody mm -hmm. told them about the league, anything like that. And yeah, these are. And it's not like these P these players were. Uh, let's uh, uh, the right way to phrase this. 
playing like an, the incorrect power level or anything. Like the league was a very high powered commander league, verging on CEDH, and these are players that could float, that could fight that fight. Yeah, and they just were kind of shunned, and it became oddly exclusionary. And they now they go there because the league stopped, and you know it feels a lot better for them. But yeah, it, that was a horrendous experience for them. Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah. That's it, if yes, it's coming back. Maybe you can promote it. Don't do it. Do not do a league if you're in LGS. If you take nothing else away from this show ever, I implore you, never run never, a league. Never run a league. All right, that's I'm, yeah. I'm done. So <laughs> previously, seasonality used to play into things like uh, Grand Prix trials for buys when we had Grand Prix, and it played into PTQ formats when we had PP, uh, PTQs, and I think PPTQs yep. into uh, the regionals, whatever they were, etc., so when you can format your events like that to the larger one uh, and even running a, a Pro Tour qualifier in Limited for a Pro Tour still makes sense because Limited was half the format. As an LGS with just FNMs right now, are you, yep. you going to start tuning those FNMs, do you think, for, you know, like I said, uh, we, we're in Pioneer right now, but the next one up is Standard. Yeah, so I, I think one of the biggest things is, so our FNMs have stayed static. They've been the same for years. Okay. That's kind of like, you look at it as like, all right, this is our pillar. This is what we're known for. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times if there's a bunch of LGSs, you know, they'll pick different lanes or whatever for Friday nights. It's your other magic nights that you start shifting around. Or if like some stores, they'll have a different game basically has a big day every weekend or every month so like one weekend it's your Yu-Gi-Oh regional the next weekend it's a digimon win a case the next weekend it's a pokemon pre-release yep. and then the next weekend can be something magic related if it's a pre-release or something else what i've seen a lot of stores start to do is that big event that mm -hmm. monthly okay now we're going to make something different with that now we want that's our pioneer that's our okay pioneer season is over let's go to standard and all of a sudden a lot of stores have started doing these larger events because they've smartly realized at this point that okay our locals are going to show up and play in whatever big events we have regardless yeah um how can we start to get people from maybe 30 to 45 minutes away that are in that weird, okay, you know, I may not go here all the time, but now I'm going to keep an eye out for big events there to try to get those people in. And that's what they've kind of started shifting is like, okay, well, those people are more likely to travel if one, the payout is good. Mm -hmm. And if two, the format is relevant to them or the upcoming pro season. Yes. Uh, you know, I always talk about one of the best things about the old PTQ grinding, and I'm sure you remember it too, was like people you literally only saw at these things. But you got to know them on a first-name basis because you saw them so much and they were part of that PTQ grind yep. community that you just sort of like hung out whenever you saw each other. And those are the kinds of people that you're seeing show up for these events. So mm -hmm. it's been less about your FNM because, look, if you've run FNM as modern for six years, you risk alienating a portion of your player base. If you're like, hey, guys, next week it's Pioneer. Well, I don't have a Pioneer deck. I don't really care. Yeah. Like, I'll just show up and play EDH, whatever. Um, and I, I think that's especially with FNMs becoming much more EDH oriented. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make sense for a lot of stores to start shifting to Pioneer. There may be some that are. Mm -hmm. And I definitely think that's a viable option. I just haven't seen it here. But again, most of the stores here have their established FNM crowds. 
Okay. So uh, that helps. Yeah, that, that's an interesting uh, take on it because I wasn't sure if moving into a new season you'd think about switching formats, but I, I like the idea of keeping your event solid and staying in your lane. So this way nobody treads on anybody else and then you can do your weeklies, your monthlies, whatever. Yeah. And, and try and not step on toes so that everybody can exist equally in so the, the ecosystem. Yeah, at, at least on FNMs. Now, Tuesday, oh, yeah, yeah, I know, sure, sure. you know, stores change Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. For whatever reason, there aren't many stores around here that run events on Mondays. Mm-hmm. That's just like, I, I mean, probably recover orders from the weekend, whatever. But Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, I've noticed there's one shop in particular that's tried Pioneer every single night of the week yep. during Pioneer season, and now they just don't yeah. run it because they couldn't get people. Yep. So... Yeah, uh, my main LGS used to do drafts on Wednesdays, so that was the place to go draft. And if they were able to bring it back, that would give people the ability to play Modern on Monday, Pioneer Tuesday, draft on Wednesday, catch your breath on Thursday, and then FNM wherever you want, all at different stores. Yeah. Um, the only thing that we're seeing up here is this interesting kind of attrition from Modern and Pioneer on Monday and Tuesday. And my the only guess that I could... Uh, kind of leverage here is that because those were the only two formats where people were actively grinding to get to regionals now that players have started seeking or actually winning those invites they're stepping away from those Monday and Tuesday events they no longer need to play there they need to play against a larger metagame so they're going to just churn games on moto that brings the competitive nature of those events down or maybe even starts to tail off on the ability to hold an event there aren't enough people and we might actually begin to see like awkwardly the dwindling of modern and pioneer as constructed formats during the week not fnms just on monday yeah. and tuesday because all these players that are out there looking to grind they're starting to get their invites so they're stepping away from the need to just jam four or five rounds on a monday or tuesday not yeah. from the comfort of their pajamas in their own home yeah now now they're ready to actually start jamming against the full meta and also with the pioneer stuff we have two sets before regionals. One of them comes out, I think, two weeks right before regionals in January, if memory serves. Yeah. And so it's kind of rough for anybody to want to continue to grind towards regionals and then get ready for that set when there's a lot of financial overhead that could exist in an area like mine that is just known to be financially strapped. So that's yeah. kind of whatever. One of the things I was interested in at the lgs level when you're thinking about this seasonality is if you'd given any thought to what you would like to see from a separation of seasons and i'll give you uh, an example when i heard that the next season was going to be standard so let's say it's quarterly that we get these uh regionals and, and pro tours like we used to q1 pioneer q2 standard and in my mind as a vendor again it doesn't matter i'm just gonna to to, to turn my knobs as necessary as a player, I would like either Pioneer or Modern in Q3 and then Standard again in Q4 because that allows me to suffer less while at fatigue. And it keeps yeah. me interested in Standard throughout the entirety of the year by separating it out by six months and giving me something to, to do after rotation. It's a brand new Standard set or format in Q4. And by giving me that in Q4, I have to buy into everything that is no longer rotating. I can sell out of what is rotating. And for yeah. Wasi, that seems like an ideal time. If I was, as a player, if I was gonna get Pioneer 
in Q1, Standard in Q2 and Q3, Modern in Q4. I'm not going to buy Standard after the Pro Tour no. or after qualifications are done for Regionals in Q3. It doesn't keep me in the Watsi ecosystem, and that might not be great for the LGS, but if they separated it out as a player, I thought, okay, that'll keep me engaged with Standard and might actually be decent for the LGS that way. But I don't know if you'd actually had the time to like sit down and think, in the grand scheme of things, if you could determine the best seasonality for you as an LGS, what you would like to see. What I would like to see, honestly, is as long as we get standard Q4, mm-hmm. I don't really care. Uh, and the reason I say that is because Q4, believe it or not, a lot of LGSs don't do great uh, because... It's hard to buy singles for people. Amazon exists. You can throw it all on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so having a way to have, okay, I know my attendance is going to be a little bit down because people are doing stuff with family. Yep. But if I have a standard season and I can at least fire drafts, chef's kiss, that's all I care about. Okay. And draft, of course, is one of the most one of the easiest ways to acquire singles we harp that into you know whatever thanks every tournament organizer ever yeah uh i think that that's one of the things that to me would just make it because look especially since wizards started doing fulfillment by amazon a quarter that used to be one of your absolute year makers Mm -hmm. uh has become like a literal year breaker because it's been so bad got it since Watsy started doing fulfillment by Amazon. So without uh, that interest in standard in Q4, because there's a regional or a pro tour, without that, there's no real interest or reason to be drafting the standard set. Is exactly. What driving at yeah, there. it's like, okay, I have to have in that case for me to do anything. Uh, I basically have to have, all right, uh master's product left that's basically it i like and then the problem there is all right well if i don't have it in stock i now have to buy it at my refresh price from a distro which man are distros gouging now it is real bad uh just so everyone's aware just Mm -hmm. you know keep keep out so that's that's the thing that i would like to see for an lgs just because you know if you're relying on some banger product. If you're relying on them to re-release mm-hmm. Quad Masters to have that um, extra amount there, yep. okay, whatever. I, I just don't like it. It's, it's not where I want to be. And that's kind of what they've made necessary is they have to have a banger product to make my quarter four as an LGS, and I just like them to make it easier. Yeah, okay, it... Which it does look like as if there is interest in standard this year, you have the ability to. Looking yeah. at Q4, there's no solid dates. There's only months, right? So there's October, November, December. We have in order Unfinity, which is just shocks right now. Um, yeah. There might be more interest in that based on what does not have the Acorn stamp and thus is legacy playable, but that is not really for the majority of your players. Those are people who are just going to either bust packs for shocks or buy singles later. We have the Warhammer Commander decks also in October, which is this weird confluence of things. I spent a lot of time talking with some Warhammer players because my store right now is primarily tabletop, and that's what the majority of the employees play, so spending time with them. Uh, they Most, if not all of them, have backed out of Magic and are still doing the tabletop thing. Some of them are doing tabletop and, like, Gunpla. And so nice. 
building and painting models that's their thing yeah but they're buying the warhammer decks even regular warhammer players are doing so because the sunday events that they hold they get to hear from the managers talk about this product and like how cool it's going to be that's a weird intersection uh, my my biggest problem with it is why are the Tyranids Naya? They should be Grixis, but that could be an entire episode I, of me screaming at nothing. I got a lot of that, <laughs> and all I can do is smile and nod because it's just words. I understand them all, but in a sentence, they don't make sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> they're basically they're basically Ridley Scott's aliens. That is, they are a hive mind yeah. race that is there to. How are they Naya? Somebody questioned. Right. I had somebody question why like that one specific Space Marine or whatever was Azor. I was just like, I don't know. It's just whatever uh game night free for all which is a box set pioneer challenge decks 2022 which seems a little too late in the year for them because everybody will have qualified already and will be heading in about two months out of pioneer and interstandard so that's just on watsy that's not i don't think it's an lgs problem but also in november we have brothers war and that's basically the product that's going to carry us into the new year there's the Brothers War Commander deck because now we got Commander decks with every set and Jumpstart 22, which again, hootie hoo, you bring some people in and like teach them how to play, whatever Jumpstart's supposed to do. Yeah. So as long as there is, we know there is standard interest in whatever, I guess Q2 2023, I think that's when that Pro Tour is supposed to be. So in theory, yeah, your Q4 this year could be carried by Dominaria United draft into Brothers War draft. And yeah. so right now you get that nice uplift. But if we don't know what's coming Q4, Q3, I guess really it has to be Q4 of 2023, you might not get that. And if 2023, as far as set releases go, looks like a regular year, there's a really good chance that you're just going to hit a dry spell because the Q4 set does release in September, and that's a little too long to go to keep standard interest for Q2 of 2024. People are just going to kind of attrition out from boredom, which is what we saw with Streets of New Capenna in that dead zone like people yeah. just stopped caring about that set it was not great and limited and there was no reason to be playing standard so people just wanted nothing to do with it yeah so. and that's that's the fear right every year for q4 is you get that capenna lull and yeah. then you're like oh i guess i'm just boned yep they did a great job moving the sets around to try and avoid that summer lull but they put too much time on capenna on a bad set like the yeah. logistics and scheduling of this year was great to avoid the summer lull, which they've harped on since the beginning of the game, essentially. But the problem was the set. If they had a better yeah. set, then it wouldn't have been nearly as bad for the players, the LGS, the vendors, etc. People wouldn't have tired as quickly of it as they did. But again, that's a design problem, not a logistics problem. So yeah. take it for what you will. Uh, as a player, is there anything you're excited about in particular like i think you and i have talked about we're kind of both done with the grind but yeah i mean i i think uh, i would love to see some type of commitment from them to non-traditional formats like when they had that pauper ptq or whatever i would love to see some stuff like that Oh, the moto challenge or whatever it was uh what was the paper event that uh yeah the mcq that they had at one of the grand prix uh, that the professor was at or whatever, where they were like, you know, 500 person pauper event or yep. something. Yeah, yeah. I would just love to see them do some stuff like that where, okay, this is, you know, it's a sanctioned format. Fuck it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Run it. Yeah. See what happens. I would love to see that. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. As a player, I'm just excited to start seeing F&M's kind of uh, 
structure around constructed formats and be less commander-y. I have more commander FNMs than I do constructed, and it, it's kind of a, a killer right now. I yeah. would if I want to if I'm going to play Magic on a Friday night and it's not going to be with friends and beer, then I want to play a constructed format. I don't know if standards that format. I think I might just be done with that churn as a player, but now that pioneers truly on display that they are now that i know they're curating that format a bit more it matters so it's being handled properly i might be interested in playing that alongside modern now essentially just eternal formats till i'm done yeah well uh anything else before picks let's do the picks all right uh i'll go first this week because my pick okay. is cool that works so, mine is less cool <laughs> i not to give it away but you know a boring color scheme yeah, it's mine. How my, I'm I'm still hanging out with you though. I I I'm picking a, a black card this week, commander related, not green though. So that's yeah. the interesting part. And it is Vona's Hunger from Rivals of Ixalan. So this is an instant for two and a black that says each opponent sacrifices a creature. If you have the city's blessing, which is the ascended keyword, so you have to have ten or more permanents on the battlefield. Instead, each opponent sacrifices half the creatures he or she controls rounded up. So the reason I'm picking this card this week is to basically get ahead of people building uh, braids and shieldred decks, and I'll, I'll walk you through that. Right now, the finances on this, not great. So I picked this uh, December 20, 2021, and CK was buying 36 at a buck 80. There were 99 on TCG at LP or better for 334. Currently... While CK is buying more, they're buying 48, they're only buying them at $1.50, so that's down about, what, like 30-ish percent. And there are 238 currently on TCG Player at 318, so the market price has also fallen. And I, I think this is uh, more a problem with visibility and, than less anything else. So right now, uh, I would kind of consider this a Punisher card, and I'll put the word Punisher in quotes. But the secondary usage is mainly in control decks, and the tertiary usage can be found in aggressive decks like Thraxomundar, because you just want to one-shot people with Thraxomundar, and that's the perfect trigger for that. Make them sacrifice a bunch of stuff, and that's exactly how Thraxomundar works. So, in theory, this can play all over the format, but the view on this is rather slanted to that quote-unquote Punisher-style build. Now, again, as I mentioned, we're getting ahead of this before people move into the new braids, into the new shieldred, and possibly even uh, Kalitas, trader of Get, who after a favorable discussion on the MTG Goldfish podcast this week, might see a decent uplift. And this allows it to be played against, again, against, uh, across, sorry, again, across a number of strategies, just a larger swath of the format. It's not just a control card. It's not just a Punisher card. So, this is probably, I think, the best three mana value or less edict in the format because it hits all opponents, not just one. And as the game goes longer, it becomes an interesting semi-wrath that gets around protections like Indestructible because this is a sacrifice. It's not a destroy, so blood for the blood god. Yeah. And I thought about talking about Kresh alongside Thraxamundar. And while I do think this is a good card for a deck like Crush, I don't consider Crush an aggressive deck like Thraxomundar. I consider it a little bit controlling. You do, you can just jund them out no matter how you're building the deck. So if you if you want to get on me about that, hit me up in the comments. 
Now, traditionally, spells like this are fair game for any deck with black. Again, this also has one black pick, pip in it, but looking to control the board, this isn't really a full wrath like Damnation. It's not an exile effect like Merciless Eviction, and it's not, I don't know what you want to call it, like a shrink effect like Toxic Deluge. So it never really catches on. It just kind of floats. And I, I do want to harp on the fact that this is just another tool in the kit of any deck running black and looking to gain or maintain control of the board. So this kind of falls below your foundational cards. Like this is definitely your, your B tier, possibly C tier control cards. So the reason I'm picking this is, and I'll harp on this till we're done here, we're getting ahead of Braids and Shieldred, which are Punisher style generals. And I expect this to catch on especially as those two generals hit content creator streams. From there, that's where I believe it just kind of branches out and picks up. Without the Kalitas pick on, uh, or note on MTG Goldfish Podcast, I don't know if this is the greatest look right now with just Braids and Shieldred coming down. I think we needed that little bit of a push because that is a general you see this under on EDH rec. And when people hear Krim talk about Kalitas and how underrepresented that card is despite the fact how good it is and Tomer goes on to, to pontificate about how well Krim's deck did off stream, people are going to go back and say, okay, what goes in a Kalitas deck? Here we are. And I think that's this that starts help that's starts the snowball. As far as timeline goes, I think if you're gonna move this to Bialis, it's gonna be about three to six months based on previous spikes and trends. And if you're gonna trade this out, I think you can move it almost immediately. So if we bring up stocks, you're gonna see just a huge spike around Time Spiral Remastered, and then it just kind of craters from there. So we're basically looking at, I, I don't even remember what came out in, in Time Spiral Remastered that pushed this, it's not really on rec anymore. And so my assumption is just like, oh, we got something new that punishes, or sorry, a re-up on something that punishes, Let's you know, move in and try and force this card and it just didn't happen, it, it fell back down. I can find no trace of whatever it was on EDH Rec that pushed this card from Time Spiral Remastered. But that slow, drawn out, uh, like, rope that we're seeing, that's kind of, what I kind of what I like and why I think this is a three to six months. So the long-term price on this card is going to depend on how many, again, Punisher Style Generals we continue to get which re-ups interest on this card and helps reset the floor on this card. It never goes back down to what it was. Never, never, never. It always just kind of ropes till the next thing comes along. And based on historical averages, from, uh, as far as sales are concerned, we're seeing approximately 80 sell a month, and this is from early July to early September, with a parallel rise in market price. And as long as these, sorry, and as these sales look to be spread out. There's not a glut of them at the end of August when Shieldred and Braids were spoiled. They're spread out in the three-month period. If demand continues, we should see a solid price reset inside of the three-month time period. So that's why we're looking past three to probably somewhere between three and six to buy a list and why a, a reset on price helps us in the, the short term if we're looking to trade this because they're going to disappear as people get their hands on Braid. Braids get their hands on Shieldred. People at your LGS are going to look for them. So stocking up now for next week or the week after to trade these out, I think is a great look. Now, I don't think there's a lot of reprint equity on this card, but we are going back to Ixalan. So a little bit of a problem here. Now, the reason I don't think we're, we're going to see a reprint on this is because it requires the city's blessing mechanic. 
And that mechanic is a pain in the ass in paper. I don't know how yeah. many people who listen to this podcast have had the opportunity to track it, but it is not fun. It's so bad. So I do not think this is a main set reprint. It could be in the commander decks, but that again is predicated on Watsy wanting to bring back the city's busting mechanic. It is, and yeah. I don't think that's the case. And even if they do, it might just be like Arch of Araska or whatever it is that draws a card. That was like hands down one of the best options sure. for just yeah, yeah long term gameplay. Just five mana tap, draw a card. Only if you have the city's blessing. Cool, easy. Now, by quantity, uh, I feel fine moving in on six to a dozen of these. You know, we're looking to spend less than fifty on this. If my out was going to be uh, local only, you know, six to a dozen seems fine for people who want to build braids, who want to build children, who want to build Kalitas. These relatively, you know, new cards. There's some other stuff from AFR that uses this. Cool. Those are still floating around in people's binders, and now that they have additional cards to put in there, decent look. If I was going to move moving this to buy list, I'd be happy moving in on a dozen <clears> based on the sales trends that we're seeing, as long as you're okay tying up that 50 plus for yeah. six ish months. I think that's perfectly fine. Yeah, I think the, the reprint equity is the main thing to me, and you know, like you say, we're going back to Ixalan because, of course, we are. Uh, I I think you're right, though. Maybe we see it in a commander deck, but City's Blessing is just so hard to deal with, keep track of, yep. whatever. It's just, it's not good. Um, I I think this card's great. Uh, it's, with City's Blessing, maybe a poor man's pox, but instant speed is still huge. Uh, especially because, you know, this is a wipe that is agnostic of what people are playing. I don't yeah. care if you're playing Voltron, you still sack it. Yep. I don't care if you're going wide, you still sack half. It doesn't yes. matter. Uh, the fact that with the City's Blessing, which of course in EDH is much easier to get to 10 permanents oh, yeah. uh, than it is in any other format. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think huge, huge option uh, because it is. It's one of those, like you said, under the radar, like it's not a pillar of black and EDH, but when you have synergies with sacrificing stuff, this card's insane. Yep. Uh, so I, I think it's very, very good. I would honestly probably, because I'm greedy, go a little bit deeper on it. Uh, but solid. I yep. like it. Thank you. It, it, it was hard to, to talk about this and feel good defending it and having to mention Damnation in the same writer. Yeah, but I would be right. remiss if I didn't talk about Damnation and Toxic Deluge and all these other better wraths. But oh, the thing sure. is, is the, this plays a different role completely than those Wraths when you're doing things like Kalitas or Kresh or Sarulf. The, yeah. These other generals that can take advantage of this card. And I think this is just as the game goes, as more people move into the, these these kind of strategies or want to pick up something new or interesting based on what they're seeing because Faxel Mundar was just on, I think, Goldfish as well. They're going to see this and that's the visibility we need to push it. So yeah here we are you on the other hand are going green. Uh, we're we're going green and maybe black uh my pick and this is something that i've kind of gotten away rec from recently but i'd like to get back on is actually uh an uncommon from the new set that i think is primed for long-term viability of course it didn't work out with leyline prowler that's all right maybe it'll work out with this one and that is tear asunder uh, for those of you that don't know, because the card isn't out as of this recording, but will be freshly out 
when it goes live. Uh, Tear Asunder, green and one for an instant with kicker, black and one. Exile target artifact or enchantment. If you kick it, exile target non-land permanent instead. It's just anguished on making that's a little bit more easy to cast. Um, right now, we're sitting at, you know, 45 cents to a dollar or whatever the pre-sale price is. This is one of those cards that you can probably get for sub-10 cents come release day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and foils are like a dollar fifty. Uh, this is the kind of thing that I think, especially in formats like Pioneer, where you don't have, you know, force of vigor and stuff like that to be very, like, be your catch-all. Yes. Uh, stuff like this is very, very good for the format. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as, like, quantity, I mean, I'd be looking at, because I know some people have already started talking about running this in their Pioneer lists, uh, Exile is incredibly relevant here. Uh, because of how many decks and Pioneer are looking to abuse, you know, indestructibility, graveyard, whatever. Very, very good. Um, I can't see a deck running more than two of this, probably. And it's probably going to be in one of the, like, Abzan mid-range lists that have been floating around with some of the Japanese streamers that run Siege Rhino and are kind of geared towards the Grease Fang matchup. Which, again, this card is very good against Grease Fang because it exiles instead of destroys. Uh, but quantity wise, I'd probably honestly get like 20 to 30. Uh, it's an uncommon, you can get them for less than a buck, spend 10 bucks on it. I'm sure you've spent $10 on worse stuff in the last week. If you ate McDonald's, you probably spent $10 on something that is less edible than Terra Sunder. Anyways. And worse for you. (laughs) And worse for you. Yes. And that the, speaking from personal experience, the, uh, uh, in the middle, yeah, that doesn't digest. It comes out the same way. Anyways, uh, <laughs> the core, the paper core it doesn't is. digest. But uh, in terms of timeline, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if once we start to get closer in like the next month or so to the Pioneer Pro Tour and you start to see, or whatever it's called, uh, you start to see the metagame adapt these new Dom U cards. Yep. I anticipate this to be one of the most adapted Dom U cards. And what I would fully expect is if I were a vendor vending DreamHack, I would bring a stack of these mm-hmm. in my common and uncommon box because I can charge $5 for them the day of because people are going to need them. Yeah. Um, beyond that, these ones are always a little bit difficult in terms of timeline because this isn't good enough for modern. But it is definitely good enough for Standard and Pioneer. And who knows? We're getting into a pretty artifact-heavy and Phyrexian-heavy set here. Terra Sunder may just be the best removal in Standard for the next six months. Yeah. Like, that, that is very realistic. I'm glad you brought that up because I did want to, to point out the fact that we got a very domain-heavy set right now with a card called Leyline Binding, or Leyline of Binding, whatever it is. Yeah. It's a very good enchantment. Very good. Yeah. Uh, and I think that is another one that will be very, very relevant. Mm-hmm. And you know what it is? It's an enchantment that just gets exiled yep. with Terra Sunder. It's great. So I wanna, I'm going to I'm going to poke the bear here for a moment. You don't think this card is modern viable? As a Jund player, do you know what the card Unravel the Aether does? Uh, is that the enchantment on the bottom? Yes. Yeah. Do you know how much it costs? Uh. <laughs> I ran three of them in my sideboard at one point. So fair. Yes. We were playing Unravel the Aether. This is better than this Unravel. Better the than Aether. Unravel the Aether. Yeah, I wanted yeah. to point that out. That modern, that is fair. Uh, there are points in time where 
a two mana value not destroy good. for the exact same reason you talked about chicanery out of the graveyard you need yep. to remove it in such a way that is difficult to return unravel was the best option to tuck it at the bottom now if you're yep. exiling it for two with upside that also seems like a great option for the sideboard but that was this is a different era of modern we're talking about where jund and abs and like mid-range yeah could be we're everywhere yeah. yeah otherwise yeah right now with a modern metagame the way it is there's way too no, fast yeah too fast or, or no need for this because there's nothing yeah. to get besides blood moon and if you're going to get blood moon um force of vigor and nature's claim yeah are, are both cheaper options uh mana value wise but yeah i i think outside of modern and especially in standard because if we are getting as artifact heavy as their release calendar tells us we are because unless something drastically shifts and all of a sudden phyrexians stop being artifacts uh, this is a pretty relevant piece of removal at just two mana to exile probably a decent percentage of the creatures that are, like, legal in the format. Seems pretty decent. Yeah, I agree. I think this has good looks in every format right now. Uh, pa uh, up to and maybe past Pioneer. I also think, you know, this is another... Like you mentioned, anguish on mating style effects. So I wouldn't be surprised mm -hmm. to see this popping up in Commander. Yeah, uh, you know it is it is green black, which is a popular color combination, and it does a great job of doing what it has to there. You know, yeah, non land permanent be gone. You don't get a yeah. lot of options like that in in green black natively. Usually it's just standard destruction, tuck like we mentioned. Nothing that's just like boof. Yeah, it's like trophy pulse and conditional decay. Yep. Okay, but this is instant speed. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. So I think there, there's a, a lot of good looks for this card across uh, multiple yeah. formats, and buying in now rather than later for uh, foil or or not is is always good because you don't know what the future will hold for this. Right now, we're looking yeah. at the set releases because we have it, and that's great. We have, we know what we're coming up against in terms of card types. Perfect. Then you have stuff like Wild Slash, which is a four dollar uncommon as well. Why? Because it was very easy to have a creature with four power and it dealt with everything you needed to in the format that wasn't siege rhino and so we have historical examples of cards that went from the sideboard to the main deck over time to deal with what was in the format and i think this could absolutely be one of them i mean man karn is absolute trash but if you could just cack karn or another planeswalker for four that seems fine especially when you don't have trophy when you don't have decay when you yeah. don't have, uh, we don't have Heroes Downfall. We won't have Heroes Downfall shortly. Correct. Yeah. I can't remember what set that. Uh, we have said. it now, but it will be leaving. Yeah. Like when you when you lose those options, this becomes a yeah. good look. So For I, sure. I, I like it a lot. I didn't even think about reading through the uncommons before this episode, so I'm glad you did. And uh, also of note, Ooh. there is. It's the black uncommon. It's an instant destroy target creature with power five or less for one black mana at yes. uncommon. Yeah. That is also very, very good. Yep. Yeah. I that, think. That that has eternal format implications. Absolutely. Because it costs yeah. one and it's an instant. Yeah. Cax Delver, Monkeys. Merc Tides. Merc Tides. Yeah. Hits them all. Yep. So another... Cut down. That's what it's called. There you go. So another good yep. look from this set in the uncommon slot. So if you were pre-releasing, dig through your stuff. If you haven't pre-released yet, you should try and play sealed. It's a good set. And then find yeah, this it card. actually is a lot of fun. Yeah, and then find this stuff. Yeah. 
But for this episode, I think we're all set, right? We are. All right. So we are at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, Patreon, Facebook, and YouTube. If you want to reach out to us, I am at Halt, I am Reptar on Twitter. You are at Thirsty Sizzler. And we'll see you next week.